coming up on Stu Does America. I am so excited for tonight's show. I get some time with Megan Kelly to talk about the disaster that is Andrew Cuomo. And speaking of him, let's start off by doing Cuomo's Collapse. Stu Does America. Coming up, we have an extended interview with Megan Kelly. Can't wait to get to that. But it's been a couple of days that are very, very big in the Andrew Cuomo saga. Are we in the midst of the Cuomo collapse? It's too soon to know for sure, but certainly things are moving in this direction quickly. Just a few days after Lindsay Boylan expanded the details of her sexual harassment allegation against Cuomo, which included an unwanted kiss and touching, we have another sexual harassment allegation. I'm a believer that you need three major things to upend a powerful Democrat like this. One, you need a major media source to be on board. This allegation is in the New York Times. Number two, you need to offer up an exit ramp for Democrats and the media from their previous praise. The nursing homes and the COVID handling should have been enough here, but it's hard for the media to admit that error. This is an easier pill for them to swallow. Blame his harassment instead of his willful incompetence. Three, you need other Democrats to turn on him. We have that in spades because Andrew Cuomo has been so terrible to so many people around him, including Democrats, for so long they're willing to publicly admonish him. It's hard to get all all these things together kind of happening all at once. Just for perspective, there's also a series of events that needs to occur to get a Republican official out of office. And it goes like this. Some anonymous Twitter user makes an allegation. That's that's about it on that one. Anyway, all these Democrat conditions have now been met and Cuomo is in serious danger of full collapse. I'll give you the reason why you can tell in just a second. But first, let's look at the allegation. It's made by Charlotte Bennett, a former economic aide for the Cuomo administration. It was made publicly and with her name and photo included. This is not a late night whimsical tweet. What's most powerful about this creepy behavior, number one, is it so recent. This happened in June of last year. This isn't some allegation from 1983. And the age difference, Cuomo is 63 and his accuser, Charlotte Bennett, was 25. There's no Harvey Weinstein level stuff going on here, but there's plenty of general creepiness. According to the New York Times, Mr. Cuomo never tried to touch her, Ms. Bennett said, but the message of the entire episode was unmistakable to her. Quote, I understood what the governor wanted to that the governor wanted to sleep with me and felt horribly uncomfortable and scared, Ms. Bennett said. And I was wondering how I was going to get out of it and assumed it was the end of my job. He asked me if I believed if age mattered in, in uh, made a difference in relationships. And he also asked me in the same conversation if I had ever been with an older man, Ms. Bennett reiterated in an interview with The Times. At one juncture, Ms. Bennett said the governor also noted that he felt uh, he's fine with anyone above the age of 22, a point that came up after they discussed her speech at Hamilton on what was her 25th birthday. Really subtle there, Andy. I mean, you really nailed that one. How old are you, 25 in three weeks? I would never go under 25 in two weeks. Now come give me that hug. This is incredibly creepy behavior towards someone four decades younger than him, and it's also incredibly creepy behavior toward any human being of any age. So how do you deal with this if you're Andrew Cuomo? And keep in mind, you know, there's some limitations to this, right? 
Not being a gigantic douche is not an available option to Andrew Cuomo, so he's got to do it a different way. First of all, what do you do? You release a statement, right? I mean, every good PR person knows you make a statement and get out in front of it. And he did. Quote, Ms. Bennett was a hardworking and valued member of our COVID dur- uh, our team during COVID. I never made advances toward Ms. Bennett, nor did I ever intend to act in any way that was inappropriate. Although in no way required by law, the governor has requested an independent review and all staff will cooperate in that endeavor. Former federal judge Barbara Jones will lead that review. Okay, so they mentioned the accusation, say nice things about the accuser and basically said she misinterpreted things. Plus, he even mentions an investigation and who's going to lead it. Unfortunately, this didn't work out too well. Having an investigation done by someone you hand select is not anyone's idea of fair. Of course, this is just what Cuomo did during the nursing home scandal, and it worked last time, at least for a while. So what do you do if you're Andrew Cuomo? Make another statement, of course. Statement number two, quote, we had selected former federal judge Barbara Jones, but we want to avoid even the perception of a lack of independence or inference of politics. Accordingly, we have asked the attorney general and the chief uh, judge of the Court of Appeals to jointly select an independent and qualified lawyer. We will have no further comment until this report is issued. Damn it. Okay, so there you have it. Issue solved. Instead of our handpicked judge, we'll have a combo of the sometimes antagonistic attorney general and another judge to investigate me. We will have no further comment. Stop bothering us, you bastards. Until that didn't work either. So they had to have, you know, further comment. Statement number three, quote, we will leave all decisions concerning the investigation to be made in the discretion of the independent counsel selected by the attorney general and the chief judge. Okay, so people were a little worried that you would have too much influence over the investigation. So you're just clarifying. However, the attorney general was a little upset that you needed to bring other people in. Was she not capable of handling her job by herself? Which leads to statement number four. Quote, the governor's office wanted a thorough and independent review that is above reproach and beyond political interference. Therefore, the governor's office has asked Attorney General Tish James to select a qualified private lawyer to do an independent review of allegations of sexual harassment. Okay, so he's folded on his preferred judge, his preferred combo his control, and now is given complete control to the attorney general. But at least he still got his innocence, right? <laughs> Enters a statement number five. It reads, in part, questions have been raised about some of my past interactions with people in the office. I never intended to offend anyone or cause any harm. At work, I sometimes think I am being playful and make jokes that I think are funny. I now understand that my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal, and that some of my comments, given my position, made other feels in ways I never intended. I acknowledge some of the things I have said have been misinterpreted and as an unwanted unwanted flirtation. Hmm. To the extent anyone felt that way, I am truly sorry about that. To be clear. I never inappropriately touched anybody, and I never propositioned anybody, and I never intended to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But these are allegations that New Yorkers deserve answers to. Got that? That's statement number five. It's the time tested. Sure, I was creepy, but I didn't know I was creepy. Please forgive me. Defense. And just to make it a little creepier, they hired Harvey Weinstein and Woody Allen's attorney uh, later on to make sure that he can be defended. I don't know about you. 
But I think we need someone a lot smarter than me to put all this into perspective. Megan Kelly joins us to discuss next. What's your credit score? Mine's 106. Most of us think uh, anything above 700 is good and below 700 is bad, but that's not necessarily the case. It's National Credit Awareness Month, and ScoreMaster, the new science in credit scores, is inviting listeners, regardless of your credit score, to experience how quickly and easily you can add the plus points you need to your credit score. How many points? Well... ScoreMaster users are averaging about 61 points in, in 20 days or less. Many do this in just a few days. Imagine what 61 points can do to your credit score. Lower your freaking bills. you got to get your credit score where it should be. Go to ScoreMaster.com, ScoreMaster.com slash stew, ScoreMaster.com slash stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. ScoreMaster.com slash stew. I'm thrilled to welcome my next guest to the program. She is one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, as well as one of Hollywood Reporter's Women in Entertainment Power 100. Her memoir, Settle for More, was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And she's currently tearing up the podcast charts with her podcast, The Megyn Kelly Show. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Megyn Kelly. Megan, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, Stu. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to talk to you about, let's, if we could start with Andrew Cuomo. Um, what is your reaction to this latest uh, development with multiple women now accusing him of sexual harassment? Um, I mean, to me, this feels like the the final death blow. Um, I, this is going to be the death knell, I think, to the remainder of his time in office. I, he deserves due process, and we'll see how, you know, these are just allegations at this point that he's denied. We'll see how the process plays out. But I just think he's been so hobbled by, frankly, Janice Dean um, and the, the nursing home scandal, which is just disgusting. And not to make light of these allegations, these Me Too allegations, but like the guy is accused of, you know, issuing an order that directly or indirectly led to the death of 15,000 seniors. Why that wasn't enough for people to form commissions and get rid of him, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, now we've got these two latest allegations. And I think what we're learning is the Democrats in this state hate him. <laughs> like, no one's defending him. They're all piling on, like, independent investigation. And that's the problem. We have no allies. And something like this drops. Number one, nobody stands by you. And number two, they see an opportunity. These Democrats who may have been tied to whatever corruption may have been involved in this nursing home decision, that's all still being investigated. They probably are like, this is, the, this is our chance. Get rid of the guy. Based on Me Too allegations, we don't have to look into corruption or why the nursing homes made more sense than some other facility, um, like what kind of kickbacks the state may have gotten from the nursing home, whatever. We'll see where that goes. And I think they're like, this is the perfect opportunity to cut bait. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like you need to have both of these things. If you're a conservative and someone makes an allegation, usually that's enough for the media to sort of align on a narrative like this. But with, with Cuomo being a Democrat, you need to have other Democrats against him and you need yep. to have that sort of like, um, you know, I think there's a there's an element here where people were they praised him for so long over the covid thing. It's difficult for them to admit they got that wrong. They almost needed another reason to come up so that they could act as if this was the reason they were turning on him. That's a good point. You're right about that. 
And, you know, he's been on this like leadership tour. Let me tell you how I saved everybody with so little pushback, Stu. As you know, you've been covering this. And you've been doing a great job. But, you know, all they did was lionize him when he went into every newsroom and, and barely, if ever, pushed back and asked questions about this. So, yes, they're embarrassed. They'd much rather see him leave on a Me Too situation. Um, but I don't know. The, the media, too, is hypocritical, right? Because all these politicians who are running out and once again, once again, we're back to believe women. It's like, <laughs> well, I interviewed Tara Reid this time last year and you were not saying the same thing about her. So like pick a lane, either we're going to have due process or we're going to believe all women. But both of those things are not possible. I mean, Cuomo himself was basically on the believe all women thing. And now he's back and forth he's releasing 10, 12 statements a day, trying to figure out how he can get himself out of that. He's, he's a hot mess right now in his statements. Like, just here's a note to all you men out there. If you ever get accused of sexual harassment, this is free, okay? I used to practice law and I've been involved in the Me Too situation. The free advice for you don't say, I thought it was playful. Ah. <laughs> no, no, right? He's a hot mess at the moment. But the, I, his comments on Brett Kavanaugh. Like he completely rushed to judgment against him and was saying he's disgusting and the and the administration, the way they diminish women from the beginning are disgusting and women should be respected. It's like, all right, yeah, just save it. It, it, it is. It's very difficult to watch. I want to go back to you talked about your Tara Reid interview and you did something that the rest of the media completely avoided, which was take her seriously. Take her threat, take her accusation as a serious accusation and try to get to the bottom of it and talk to her about it. And it struck me as I was watching this that we all sort of internalize these conversations in a somewhat selfish way. At least I do, I guess. And, and I think most people do in that, like, I think about what the political ramifications are. I think about what politician I might not like their policy, what's going to happen to them. But there's a real person here. Tara Reid is an example of it. Uh, the people who are accusing Cuomo are an example of it. And it must be very difficult for them to go through this when everyone is basically using you as some sort of political uh, hammer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure these women are aware of that. I'm sure, you know, I don't know how they feel. I think they, from, from reading their statements, they feel angry at him for what was done to their careers. You know, I think it's probably tougher when you still have an affection for the boss because just because somebody harasses you doesn't mean you loathe him you know frankly that was my own situation mm -hmm. uh, and I really had no desire to stick the knife in you know none at all but it had to be done because the question was asked directly and I wasn't gonna lie um, these women are definitely getting used by the political establishment uh, and look as I said with Tara if the shoe were on the other foot they'd be very, they'd be doing just the same the other way like oh I don't believe her Tara Reid had her life ripped apart. They, half the country still thinks she made up the fact that she graduated from college and lied about her credentials and testifying in domestic violence cases, which isn't true. Mm. That all played out in her favor. Did you see that everywhere in the newspapers? No. They just tore her life apart, brought up her bankruptcies and the fact that she had difficulty paying her bills and said she's a liar. Even though Tara Reid told somebody contemporaneously when this allegedly happened 30 years ago that it did. That she established that it actually happened. I don't know, but I'm telling you, she established that contemporaneously with the alleged event, she told more than one person about it. Yeah, I mean, it was on record. I mean, even the Larry King uh, situation, the video that popped up really seemed to confirm that something was going on at the time. Um, 
with with the media in general, because, you know, CNN, I think, is the most guilty of this right now. And I, and I find CNN and MSNBC to be competing for this often. But MSNBC seems to usually be the more directly partisan thing, at least up until the Trump era. At this point, it almost seems to have switched. And the idea that CNN is really not covering uh, these new accusations all that much, particularly Chris Cuomo is not covering them, um, is there any surprise? I mean, should we should I just stop the should I like delete the possibility of being surprised by how bad the media is at this point? I think so. Yeah, they're lost. It's they're a lost cause. There's no no one left to root for. Basically, we got to forge on without them. They're no good to us anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I had Janice Dean on my podcast today. We taped it today and it, and it airs on Wednesday. And she was saying that um, she thinks Chris Cuomo should be benched right now. And she had a good point. Yeah. You know, how are they going to let him go out there and cover the news without touching on this? They already blew it when Lindsey Boylan came out with her accusations. It wasn't on ABC, NBC or CBS. Chris Cuomo certainly didn't report about it. And now the CNN bent its rules to let Chris Cuomo report on his brother, right? Let his brother come on for those softball, ridiculous comedy interviews. Now the, the brother's in trouble, the governor, um, in, in serious trouble. They won't let him interview me. And it's like, oh, no, the policy's back in place. So now Chris Cuomo gets to not report on any of his own malfeasance, his brother's malfeasance. And you tell me, how's Chris Cuomo going to go out there and fairly report on Governor Ron DeSantis, right, down in Florida or any of the other governors, you know, Governor Newsom? and their COVID problems without being able to mention just that one very famous governor who he tried to endear to America with only stupid jokes and no hard questions when thousands had already died in the New York nursing homes. Yeah, I mean, it was it was absolutely unbelievable, especially considering not only was it in the middle of uh, the worst part of the pandemic, where I believe Cuomo was failing uh, in a unique way uh, across the country. I mean, he was not just a, a lot of governors did a lot of things that they would like to take back. Cuomo went way over that line. And that was in the middle of that. No hard questions, nothing, nothing but fluff and nonsense. And I don't see I don't see how you can. It's like there almost needs to be this sort of situation where he is benched because he is incapable of covering these things. And it's, it's impossible to ignore the man's name is the same name. We all know they're related. We all know he's been a cheerleader this whole time. And to just give let him off with this idea that he can just kind of not comment on it is it's, it's certainly not journalism. Is it Megan? No, it's not. It's disgraceful. And you know what? The media's behavior all along has been disgraceful. You've been doing a great job in this. You know, Janice, the meteorologist at Fox News, has been doing a great job because her both of her in-laws were killed in the, in the nursing homes after this order was issued. And then you got this Ron Kim, this Democrat in New York State, who's been really honest about this problem. His uncle was killed in the New York nursing homes. It shouldn't take a personal death in the family to get some honesty out of these partisans and these media people. You know, it shouldn't have been up to Janice Dean, the meteorologist, to push this story. He, Cuomo was on with Nicole Wallace. You know, the, they still bill her as a Republican. It's such a joke, Stu. <laughs> uh, right? Like, she's a Republican the way Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post is a Republican. So she, she's, she had Cuomo on at the end of January, recently, well after the scandal had broken and we knew he was being accused of all this stuff. She, there was no pushback on him. And he then said, he took it upon himself to say, incompetent government kills people. He was talking about Trump. She didn't even take the moment to say, oh, preacher, 
heal thyself, right? Like, funny you should bring that up, Governor, because that's what the people in New York State say you did when you issued that order that the New York State nursing homes had to take COVID-positive patients into them. And thereafter, thousands of people died. Talk about whipping on a softball. Why didn't she ask it? Because she didn't want to. So you don't actually have to share a last name with a guy to be in the tank for him. And that's what we saw with her and with too many other journalists over the past 11 months. I kind of thought there might be a moment uh, with this particular nursing home scandal in that everyone knew who followed the story. Janice was obviously on top of this, as well as a few others who knew that these numbers were going to come out. It wasn't a doubt as if it was it was going to be increasing by 20, 30, 40. It wound up being over 50 percent that they had undercounted these deaths. But anyone who followed the story knew. And I found it really interesting that not only did uh, did people not cover it and push for those answers often enough, They allowed Andrew Cuomo to brag about the fact that he had low death numbers in nursing homes. He continually went on television in these interviews and said, uh, everyone's complained about nursing homes. We're 34th in the nation in nursing homes. We're 46th in the nation in nursing home deaths. When he absolutely knew eventually these numbers were going to come out, and I think he knew what they were the entire time. So you have a situation where Cuomo was using these reporters to manipulate these reporters' own audience and it still doesn't seem particularly offensive to these same reporters. I w- that would anger me so much if I had someone on, quote unquote, my side using me to lie to my own viewers. Well, you know, a part of it is I, honestly laziness on their part. I've seen it a million times that the reporters don't do their homework. They like Anna Navarro. Right. Though she's on The View and she's a CNN contributor. She she ripped on the people who were mad about the Cuomo Brothers comedy show. You know, like, it's called levity. We need a moment to laugh in the middle of the COVID situation. Right. If you don't like it, too bad. And um, Janice Dean re- responded to something effective. I'm sorry if I don't find it funny, but I think he killed my in-laws. So I'm not really in a laughing mood. And Anna Navarro gets Cuomo on The View not long ago, asks nothing, and then basically falls down on, well, I'm from, from Florida, so I don't really, I don't understand. <sighs> it's like, well, then shut up. Let's stop. Then don't say anything. Don't defend. Don't, like, and by the way, it is actually your, your job to do your homework. But reporters tend to be lazy. And so I think a lot of them are like, they're not mad at him because they didn't do their homework and they have only themselves to blame. Yeah, I think that's why yeah. I love Twitter so much, too, because so it's easily too. searchable comments on any pre- given topic. Um, you mentioned Janice Dean, and I love Janice. I, I just she's one of my favorite people on Earth. And I, I keep coming back to her role in this and that it's such a difficult thing to take a powerful person and hold them accountable, especially when the media doesn't want to do it. How important is having someone like Janice who was just a a fearless bulldog throughout all of this, pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing in a relentless way that I don't think a lot of people have the the ability to do. I mean, she just kept going and going and going. And finally, it seems like people are listening. And that's got to be so it's it's so frustrating that it took this long. But I'm I'm so proud of her and everybody who is uh, chipped in to try to make this actually happen because he needs to be held accountable. Well, you've been so sweet giving her credit, even before right now, where credit is due. I, as her friend, I appreciate seeing that. But I, when you were talking, actually, I literally did get a little chill because I'm so proud of her. And I, I cop to the fact that I'm not objective on this story. I'm not. I love Jana. She's the godmother to my child. I'm the godmother to her child. You know, we're the closest of friends. And so it's been hard to watch her go through this. 
and she hasn't been fearless. She she's had fears. You know, somebody in a somebody very well known and in a position to know this governor pulled her aside early on and said, "Keep going, but watch your back." And now, as we see all these bullying stories come out, Ron Kim, that Democrat I mentioned, saying he felt the governor personally in that phone call he made to him last week after Ron Kim came out and said they admitted that they held the numbers back because they didn't want to get prosecuted by the feds. Governor called him and made him personally fear for his life. Now, there's a reporter at the New York Post who came out and said she personally felt threatened by the governor's top aide. Um, there's actually a few uh, going around like now sort of admitting some of the some of the women making the Me Too allegations are pointing the finger at this Melissa DeRosa as one of his henchmen. She's everywhere. She's the one who, you know, inadvertently told the truth about the fact that they've been covering this all up. So I've loved watching her find the courage. I mean, of course, I saw her and the role she played in the whole Roger Ailes situation, which was underappreciated. It's fraught. I don't want to use that word because it's it's fraught. And I know a lot of people who love Roger, but Janice was very brave through that whole thing. Then we get here, Janice's got MS. Janice does not have a highfalutin life. They have a very modest house in a very modest neighborhood in Long Island. Janice is married to a firefighter. Janice spends every day worried that her firefighter husband, who I love and know, is going to get cancer from working in Ground Zero for months after 9-11, digging out the, the remains of his friends. All of his fire company, but Sean and one other, were killed on 9-11. Janice has MS. Janice has, like, she's got two young boys. She's got a lot to worry about. And then both of his parents died. You know, Sean's parents died. And she found it within her. Think how tired you are every day. I think how tired. I don't have MS. I don't have those issues. And she stayed on him like a dog with a bone. And she got it. Whether he goes down or not, she proved to the world that she was right and he was wrong. And his bully spokesperson who dismissed her saying she's not credible about anything but the weather is embarrassed. He's been proven wrong as well. <laughs> yes, in a very public way, and uh, they deserve it so much. We have more with Megyn Kelly here in just a second. We're back with Megyn Kelly. If you're not subscribed to her podcast yet, what are you doing? The Megyn Kelly Show. Uh, you should be doing that right now. Go to your favorite provider and get signed up. It's a must listen. There's another Janice Dean conversation, which I definitely will not miss. Uh, that's coming up this week as well. It's a great interview with Tim Poole today as well. Uh, Megan, uh, back in, I don't know, a few months ago, I had written a little uh, Twitter uh, thread that, you know, kind of viral that w was talking about uh, Andrew Cuomo and all the things that he did in March that we kind of forget because he was so authoritative on it. Uh, you mentioned it on your podcast. And then I had everybody in the world I knew uh, telling me about my own Twitter thread, which is a which is an odd, odd thing to go through. Uh, but I think what is central to all of this is just that the media continue to let him off the hook for these things. They kept saying he was a confident and uh, a good communicator and a confident communicator in a time of crisis. But if you're telling people to do the wrong thing confidently, that is not something to praise. Why was the media doing this? Well, I will confess to having a little bit of that, like, okay, I like what I'm hearing when I listen to him in March. Um, it was a time where we didn't know what was happening with COVID. Trump held that presser where he was all over the board. It was like, what did you say? The president reversed like within an hour that he went off the air. It was like, no, there's not a travel ban from Europe. No, we're not. It was like, and you could tell he didn't know what he was saying at the time. And he sure enough, he didn't. 
And the media sent blood in the water on Trump. And so they were all like, COVID's going to be the next plague. And I didn't believe them either. So I think all of us were like, who the hell do we believe about this? What is this thing? And how serious is it? And Cuomo would come out and he, he projects kind of avuncular and matter of fact, and he would say, this is the bad news and this is the good news. And like his presentation was very digestible. And you're like, okay, he's going to give it to me straight. And I felt that way as a New Yorker. I was like, okay. And then you could just see the wheels coming off where the news started to come out about the bad decisions he had made that he wasn't publicizing at the pressers. And it, as it turns out, you have to remember, you can be spun, you can be dazzled by somebody's presentation when the substance is what is really the problem. And so when you get new information, you have to behave differently. And no one here seemed in the mood to do that. And I think there's another problem here for New Yorkers, which is there's a war going on between our mayor, de Blasio, and our governor, Cuomo, both of whom are, and so you don't, like, you don't know who to root for. And it's tough to take sides you know, with Bill de Blasio on pretty much anything. So at that time, it sort of seemed like I've got to choose I'm going to go with the state guy because New York City's a hot mess. But anyway, then new facts came out and people really needed to be open-minded to truth and they, they weren't. One of the most, I think, underplayed parts of this entire uh, extravaganza in New York is the fact that Cuomo has somehow managed to lose multiple public battles with Bill de Blasio, which is almost impossible. I mean, de Blasio is the most disliked person, uh, certainly the most disliked mayor that I can ever remember in New York in my lifetime. People love to hammer Bill de Blasio, but Cuomo continues to lose battles to this guy. It's it's unthinkable. I know. I'm, I'm like moving de Blasio up on the Cuomo de Blasio Olympic scale. Like I'm, I'm rooting for him now over Cuomo. I don't know. I resent that, too, about Andrew Cuomo. Why did he have to make me root for Mayor de Blasio? It's not a thing to dislike about him. Uh, <laughs> both guys are, look, one is a bully and made massive mistakes. And the other one's just incompetent and doesn't belong in that mayor's office. So the, one of the problems, though, is like, you know, how like when somebody tells a joke, it's always got a kernel of truth in it. Um, do you remember when when Cuomo had on Fauci? And he was they, they were doing an interview and they were joking. And Cuomo was like, oh, you know, I'll be. I'll be Pacino and, and you yeah. can be De Niro or, and it, you know, that's exactly right. He, unlike those guys who are actors, he actually does see, see himself as this bully. You know, he got, his brother got all mad when he was called Fredo. Well, he is the Fredo and his brother's the Fredo too. They're, it's double Fredo family mm. and they, they're proud of it. They're proud of their mob-like tactics. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because of all the undeserved praise that Cuomo has received throughout this entire thing, the one I kind of don't have a problem with is the Emmy because he, it really was just a television show. He was up there acting and saying lines and trying to make people feel things that they shouldn't have felt. He deserved an award for, for I think, the press conferences, not because of their accuracy, because it was essentially a fictional television show. Point. People, like you said, they let him write a book on leadership during the time of COVID and his big poster celebrating COVID in New York and how how well he and we had done, you know, all without probing more. And, and you know, now we see like my friends here on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, just we were circulating an email today. My good girlfriend who has a middle schooler, literally her son just went to school school for the first time in a year. And he only goes one day a week and he gets four hours a day. That's it. 
It's so mismanaged here. Whereas you look down in Florida, they're open for business. School is open. And our transmission rate here in, in the schools has been nothing, right? I mean, you know, in most schools, it's been proven to be next to nothing. They shut down the restaurants, even though the transmission rate was at best 1.4%. It just feels like we're being mismanaged at every level. And the lives that were ruined by Cuomo are matched only by the lives that were ruined on the streets of New York and the restaurant owners and everybody else who had their their livelihoods wrecked by these guys who were just terrified by COVID no matter what they tried to project, right? They were shutting down everything in a way people like DeSantis didn't. And I think over time, DeSantis has been proven right and these guys have been proven wrong. Yeah, I think he looks pretty good after this. Um, You bring up, I think, what might be the most obvious failure by the government and the media which is, you know, is schools. And we really do live in two different countries right now. I live in Texas. My kids went back to school full time and have had no breaks since on August 13th. Uh, they went back right away. They've had other than, you know, just normal vacations. They've been there every single day in person learning. We have other parts of the country who have not set their kids back to school at all. This has been something where scientists at the very beginning of this very clearly said the schools are probably one of the more safe environments for this sort of situation. We don't need to close down the schools. Everybody pulled the trigger anyone, every, every, uh, anyway. They ran away from uh, in a fear, uh, a really a, a wave of fear. And they are afraid seemingly to admit that they made that mistake initially. I mean, this is going to be there are going to be a lot of long term consequences for kids all over the country. It makes me so angry because now you're talking about kids. You're talking about children who haven't been in school in a year. And I mean, all these folks who say like they're so worried about lower socioeconomic uh, classes, about people of color in the inner city, those are the ones who are suffering the most. Those are the ones who don't have Wi-Fi. Those are the ones who are really struggling with distance learning and need person-to-person contact in many instances to get them to school, to get them interested and get them you know, excited. And they, they're, they're not, they're falling through the cracks, right? And nobody seems to care, Stu. The teachers' unions, they certainly don't care. The teachers here are pretending like this really is the plague. I mean, in Chicago, you saw what they were doing there. The, the teachers are like, I'm going to die if you send me back in, as they do their interpretive dance, leaping through the air. Like these perfectly healthy, able-bodied, like 20-year-olds are like, oh, but I can't go in front of the six-year-olds who transmitted to no one. So it's upsetting because the kids are suffering and the teachers, not all of them, ours have been amazing, but the teachers are being selfish and the unions are the worst. Yeah. And I think that the long term repercussions of this, you know, if you're an adult and you're out of work for and you can't go to the gym or the movie theater for a few months, you can get through that. You know, Malcolm Gladwell, I think it was Tipping Point where he highlights a study and it was the study uh, studied rich kids and poor kids and broke them out into those two categories and basically said the difference with rich kids outperforming poor kids, quote unquote, over time was the summers. When they would go home in the summers, the poor kids' families, generally speaking, would keep them, you know, they wouldn't engage them with academics really at all. And the rich kids would have tutors and classes and all sorts of instruction and all those things. And a little bit over time every year, the rich kids would outperform the poor kids. And at the end, it was a large separation. Thinking of that in this context, I mean, this is much more dramatic than just a summer. This is an entire year lost for a generation of students. This is I don't think we're going to know the repercussions of this for a very long time. Well, first of all, that explains a lot about my own SAT score. (laughs) 
much just now for coming together. <laughs> Thanks, Malcolm Gladwell. We appreciate it. <laughs> Why did my mom get me something to focus on? Anyway, um, but in all seriousness, you're 100% right. And and you can feel like if these stories that you read are just heartbreaking about the kids who are not being, they're not going to come back into the system. They may be lost forever from coming back into the system. And then you think about the abuse that's going on at home, right? School is a refuge for a lot of these kids, and the teachers are the first responders in reporting abuse. So they're stuck at home. They're abusers who are stuck at home because a lot of their jobs are no longer there. And it's a terrible, toxic combo. And then you read the reports about the suicides that are skyrocketing. You know, the New York Times and that report about what's happening in Vegas and how they've had to implement an emergency response system where the school monitors the children's school-issued laptops for any terms searched in Google that suggest suicide. And the system, I mean, I guess, for good, for better, is working in that there was a story about a guy, a, a dad, who at 2 in the morning got an alert his son had been searching how to make a noose. He ran to his kid's room and sure enough, the kid was in the process of making one. I think the kid was 12 and he was okay. You know, the dad got there. So the system worked. I mean, obviously the system working is a good thing. What I'm wrestling with is why he was in that place to begin with. Why are these emergency response systems the answer as opposed to reopening the schools? Why can I go to my grocery store with tons of people? right? Socially distancing with masks, but my kids can't go into their schools, or at least not mine, but a lot of the ones here in New York. It doesn't make any sense. These teachers are acting like, like they're, you know, first responders on scene at a COVID factory. <laughs> and they're not. The children are the best population to be around, right? Especially the little ones. But even at the upper ages, you can keep yourself safe. My, my kid's teacher, my son's teacher is 65 years old. He's been in school every day. He's a high-risk category. He goes, he shows up, he teaches. And by the way, Stu, nice um, sort of ending to that story. He also refuses to get into politics with the kids. He'll talk about process and teach them about how America works. This is our new school. Um, but he won't get into politics because he says, that's for your mom and dad. That's not for your teacher. Mm, I, I, I love that. I mean, that's which I, I wish we could get a lot more of that in public schools. Let me get you this last question related to that. In that we, I think, you know, I've heard you many times speak out against this sort of crazy new woke culture that doesn't make any sense. We see so much of that uh, penetrating our schools. And a lot of times, I always say this, like, it's like a B-plus argument to say, let's open up the schools. Because, of course, they should be open. And, of course, everything around it is insane. But at the end of the day, we complain often about what's going on in these schools when the kids go back. Should we be trying to figure out ways to break up this school system, to get more kids into public school, even ones that may, might not, or excuse me, private school, even though they might not be able to afford it? Or should, is our focus best spent on trying to uh, reform the schools that are available now? Oh, my God. I mean, it's such an overhaul that we need on so many levels. I, what's been crazy during this COVID shutdown is these schools are still working on getting rid of names like Abraham Lincoln while they're shut down. It's like, <laughs> Could you keep your eye on the ball, please? Because Abraham Lincoln has been dead for 150. He's going to be dead for a long time. Maybe that could wait until the children are back into the classrooms and we decide how racist he was, the man. <laughs> you know. So, yes, that's a problem. But I do think, like, the wokeness in that battle is going to take organization, dedication, and time because this critical race theory and sort of the shoving of, you know, far-left ideological 
and identity politics down the throats of our kids has been brewing for a while. And it exploded after the death of George Floyd. And people were in such a crouched position, you know, terrified that they would be seen as racist, that, that they just allowed it. It was just, yes, yes, and more yes. Let's have 14 chiefs of diversity. Well, guess what the diversity heads do? They look for problems that may or may not exist. It's not necessarily a great thing. It's like, you, you, don't, you don't want an operation? Don't go to a surgeon for your diagnosis. Right? Like, they want to cut. Um, anyway, I do think it's ubiquitous now, and it's going to be a real battle that we're going to have to fight as, as groups of people. And the one good thing about it, the one silver lining is, I think this battle is not left and right. It's not black and white. It's not even liberal conservative, you know, as we, as we know those terms traditionally. It's people who are reasonable and people who are not. People who are in a small little faction who hate America and want to change it forever and don't believe it was a good experiment, and the rest of us. And I'll tell you, just the circles I'm in, I, I, I get an invitation a week to join a new group that's forming to fight back in the schools, at the uh, school board level, at the electoral level. Parents have had it. They've had it with this. So they're not... It's just what I mean. George Floyd happened in in late May, and here we are, and it's March. Um, so I think by the time we get to like a year mark, we'll have people who are more organized and ready to deal with these things on a realistic basis. No one's denying racism. No one's denying some cops are bad, and no one's denying that these schools shouldn't be teaching anti-bullying, support, love, kindness, and about actual American history. But they've gone around the bend. I'll just give you one example: uh, public schools in Buffalo. Uh, they're, they're, the head of diversity there believes that children as young as four need to start to get indoctrinated, that they need to be taught BLM principles and critical race theory. And by the time they're six, they are showing them videotapes of children pretending to be back from the dead after having allegedly been killed by racist police officers talking about racism at six. I mean, you tell me how messed up that is the amount of damage that's doing to a little kindergartner. It's, it really is incredible how fast this has moved. Uh, Megan Kelly, uh, author of the New York Times bestseller, Settle for More, host of the Megan Kelly Show podcast, which you should subscribe to immediately. There's very few people that I can find that are interesting about everything. And uh, Megan, you're, you're one of them. I really appreciate it. And, and surprising me sometimes, you don't, I don't always know where you're going to come out in an issue. And that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes life interesting. Got to keep you guessing. <laughs> all right. Thanks again. Megan Kelly, uh, thanks so much for being on the program and taking all the time. Back in a second. It's really hard to overstate how bad the media has been on Cuomo. I'll give you this from Newsbusters. A Nexus search from ABC, CBS and NBC, their news uh, programs, discussed Cuomo at least 401 evening news stories between March 1st and December 31st, 2020, including weekends. Yet only two of the 401 stories, both on nightly news, made any reference to Cuomo's nursing home order. Total airtime, a mere 51 seconds. 51 seconds. Back in a second. So research found the average EMS response time is 37 minutes. You really are the first responder. That's you. It's not them. They'll come when they can get there and they do a great job. But you're the person on the scene. You're the person that needs to do something. That's why you got to have an, uh, a bare first aid kit from Refuge Medical. Um, first of all, a uh, bare first aid kit is guaranteed for life. 
Uh, it exceeds military specification for individual first aid kits, and it's used by military personnel in 14 countries. I have one of these things. It's just awesome. It's got all the best stuff in there. You feel like even an idiot like me, maybe even I could solve some problems with this thing. Go to refugemedical.com. Get 15% off their first aid kits. 15% off with the promo codes, too. Be sure to use that promo codes, too, because that's how they know you like this stupid show. If we learn one lesson this year, it's to be prepared for anything. Refugemedical.com. Refugemedical.com. Com. The promo code is Stu. Save some cash. R- promo code is Stu. RefugeMedical.com. Yes, it's the mug that is taking down a governor right here. Andrew Cuomo is awful. Get your mug. Get your T-shirt. Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. Have I told you lately? Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. <laughs> 